Today is Thursday, October 27th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 484 featuring Barstool Sports, Dan Greenberg. Greeny, as you know him, is powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today, use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. It's good to have some more games to talk about here on this Celtics beat. Of course, you know, the last show with Tony Allen again, you know, I, I saw some of the feedback. We apologize. The Wi-Fi connection on his end was not perfect, so we didn't get every word, but we got most of them. We got the key ones, and it was just great to see T.A. as part of the show. But now with a crystal clear connection, Adam Kaufman, Evan Valenti, and we got Greeny, Dan Greenberg. You know him, obviously, from all over Twitter. He's doing post-game Twitter spaces now, chatting you up after games. Greeny, how are you, man? I'm doing well, guys. Happy Thursday. Happy, happy Thursday, Thursday to Thursday. you. Uh, happy Thursday, I guess, to the Celtics, because as we sit here now, they've got the one more day before they do get back to work, a little long layoff. They last played on Monday. They should be 4-0. We should be sitting here talking about a 4-0 team. They started out 9-0 in Chicago, up 19 early on, and then fell apart, lost by 18. We're not going to use this however long we're talking to fully dissect that game. Obviously, it's a week-to-week show, not a daily show, but it was... Uh, I, I think in part, and I know that it's you have to greeny kind of look through this team, look at this team through a certain lens for as long as they are not at full strength. And they're not at full strength. There is no Rob Williams you're talking about. Perhaps, some might say, despite Marcus Smart winning that award last year, perhaps your best defensive player or your most impactful defensive player. So as long as you don't have him, you're not going to be what – we watched so much of last year and into the playoffs and everything. But that being said, if I can start with some negative, (laughs) I'm concerned about the defense. I am. I'm concerned about what we've seen through four games. Yeah. So I want to be careful with that exact topic, just because you can already kind of feel it of, oh, no matter what the Celtics look like on that end, it's, well, they don't have Rob. So like, what can you expect? And I just, I already don't agree and don't love that frame of thinking just because we saw this team defend at a high level for a large sample without Rob. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are certain aspects of their defense that they have to work through and adjust to, you know, overcompensate for his lack of, you know, dominance on that end, but it still doesn't really excuse them giving up a billion points a game. And I wrote this actually this morning for a blog. I looked into it because I'm with you. It's like, what is so different about this defense? And when you look at it, some of it is how they're guarding the pick and roll. There's scheme aspects to it, which are similar to the early season issues we saw last year when through the first four or five games, they were giving up 120 every single night. But then when you look closer, did you guys know that – around 39 shots a game, the Celtics are doing what the NBA deems as contested looks, so tight coverage. It's by far their highest amount of opponent shots fall in that tight coverage window. Mm. Opponents are shooting 50% on those shots, or 52%. They're shooting 50% on contested threes. So, yes, while not having Rob matters, the bigger component, I think, is – while the Celtics are contesting shots, 
We've just seen teams like Terrence Ross and Paolo and, and Zach Levine. They opponents are making contested looks at a very unsustainable rate where you would expect over time, those numbers are going to come back down, right? Like I looked it up and compared it to the Bucks. The Bucks have the number one defense in the league right now. They are also contesting 39 or they have 39 shots in that tight coverage window. Opponents are only shooting 32%. In that, so how different could the Celtics' tight coverage be compared to the Bucks' tight coverage? And there's such a drastic difference in efficiency. You do have to, on some level, chalk it up. Of guys are making tough shots that will level out over time, but they also do have to figure out what they're doing in the pick and roll. I think guards need to be better fighting through schemes. Like there are things that Missoula has to figure out scheme wise. But it's not time to panic when you actually look at how teams are scoring against this defense. Yeah, I guess I would have to ask this just real quick, Ev. I'd have to ask this question though about the tight coverage stuff. Is you know we uh, on the one hand, and you you highlighted this against Chicago in particular. Like you saw, just them hit a a ton of ridiculous shots that ordinarily are not always going to fall, and that's going to happen game to game. You're going to see those things, and and you'll say, hey whatever tip your cap they they, we were in their face and they hit the shots but when I hear contested shots that's and and this is maybe a better question for for a coach than it would be for the three of us like is somebody who's who's on an NBA staff but well what I'm saying is like unless you're going to break down all the the x's and o's and intricacies of playing defense like I'd like to ask Marcus Smart this question for instance contested coverage is you know that stat is is dominated by physical location you know how far are you from a right, given it's guy two to four, right 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 yep, it, 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 like two it, to four feet. yeah like it couldn't be a, a simpler barometer for how to measure that stat mm-hmm. but what i would wonder is what's the difference between that like being physically like right there in a guy's face versus stylistically the way you are playing defense where your hands are where you know that type of thing how is has anything changed from last year to this year in terms of never mind the physical distance how they are defending that is maybe leading guys to hit some of these shots that they wouldn't otherwise have hit right and so nba.com they also give you defended field goal percentage and defended field goal per game this year, the Celts are at 88.5 defended field goal per game, mm-hmm. and opponents are shooting 47% on those defended field goals. Last year, it was 88.1 and 43%. Okay. So the idea would be, okay, the hands, the, they may not be, like, as truly contested, but the idea that, like, they're just not defending at the same rate isn't entirely true We've just seen opponents be relatively efficient even through those defended challenging shots, which is bad, right? There's things you need to address there, but bigger picture, it's not like we're seeing team. We're not, it's not like we're seeing this team contest less shots or they're not playing with effort. You have to just work your way through those tough nights, but then how they're getting exposed and pick and roll and things like that are more of a glaring issue that need to be addressed as opposed to, this team just isn't playing defense. I would disagree with that. Yeah. Look at Greeny coming with the numbers, F. Well, I Listen, just, I, I mean, there's we have 10 million days in between these games. Like, yeah, my deranged brain just needs to fill time looking at something. So, today it was the defense. Yeah, I totally get that. I think 
I want to point out, just want to throw this out, that the two teams in the NBA Finals last year, Golden State and Boston, two of the best defenses in the league mm-hmm. last year, mm-hmm. are respectively not so great with Boston. They're in the middle of the pack in points per game given up in the Eastern Conference. But Golden yep. State's dead last, okay? Yeah. It's, it's, and then you have the Grizzlies last year who right. were top three or four defense. They're right. 30th in the NBA through four yeah. games. So, Although, let me, let me ask, though, I'm, and I'm not judging, I'm, I'm clarifying. Do we care more about defensive points per game allowed or do we care more about defensive efficiency? Because we're talking about defensive rating, you know, the Celtics ranked 25th, which yeah, 25 out of 30, yeah. it's bad. Yeah. They were, they were one last year and Golden State is, is not dead last in that category. It's, it's still bad. It's 22, you know, I mean, bottom third of the league, but you know, I like points per game, you know, that factors in overtime and all that. Right. Like, out, rating, I guess I lean on more. They're, they're both bad and they were both, they're both bad yeah. last year. And by the end of the season, they were the top two defenses in efficiency. In the right. league, the time we got. Yeah, through. I think when you look at defensive rating or offensive rating or net rating or any of those type of metrics, I think to make definitive statements, you need a 10, 15, 20 game sample, right? Because mm-hmm. you could have one Not awesome four. game and that drops your D rating, yeah. you know, substantially. You could have a game like we saw against the Celtics and, you know, the Bulls where they're hitting everything and that jacks up there. Like there's so much variance early in the season. So for me to start, I care, you know, I care about points per game. They haven't really had any double overtime or anything like that. So I care about, uh, I care about points per game and I want to see how opponents are actually shooting against your defense. Right. If it's something like we're seeing where teams are shooting 52% on contested looks, I know that that's not sustainable over the long. I'm not going to freak out over about that. I'm going to say, okay, Maybe you need to fight harder over screens or maybe you need to tweak some things. But I think when we look like when we want to make defend and it's the same way their offense is the top of the league, but it's been four games, right? Right. We just saw all the same offensive flaws in the bulls loss that we saw, you know, in all of their collapses last year. So Mm -hmm. yes, the, the Celtics still have the number one or whatever offense in the league, but you can't tell me that their same flaws on that end don't exist just because their rating is super high. Yeah. And the point, the point yeah. being, if you contrast this defense to last year's defense, and Greeny pointing out all the contested you know, shot statistics is actually going to back me up on this. Last year, the defensive assignments that were blown is what really got me heated. It was like, man, this, this team was supposed to be a good defensive team. We talked all year long about – or all offseason long about how emails would come in, change the defensive culture – and the first couple of months were really rocky. I mean, you, I, it was like borderline really annoying to watch a team that has so many great defenders on it just miss assignments right. and miscommunicate. I don't think that's the, the problem here. I think as Greeny has pointed out, there are several factors to play here. One of them being that, like, as an example, DeMar DeRozan took how many contested long twos in that game <laughs> and hit what felt like 100% of them. It was like, it was, right. it was bizarre to me. The one thing I will point out, though, and, it's, and this is something that, um, you know, you can you can call it, the, the, the non-Rob factor, if you will. Um, the last three games, because we talked about the, the Philadelphia game, um, we were able to react to that pretty quickly right after that game was done. Uh, Miami, 46 points in the paint. You look yep. at Orlando at the end of that game, they had 42. And then the Bulls lost. Uh, the Bulls had 46 points in the paint in that game. Yep. That's a slight concern. And that could be a roster problem. That could be you know addressed, obviously, with Rob coming back at some point. That could be... You know, maybe we we have to you know do a better job fighting through screens as 
as Greeny has pointed out, maybe there's something that they can do to, to bolster the roster with another big guy. I mean, I, there's still so many things to tweak here, and Missoula is going to be, you know, obviously the timeout thing that we can talk about later where Joe's just letting them figure it out. Um, you know, he'll adjust to that. He'll adjust to this too. They'll figure this out. But that's my – if I had to point out one thing that really concerns me about this Celtics defense, because I'm not concerned about anything right now, it's the mm-hmm. fact that they've allowed that many points in the paint. And when you look at it, it's it's all – you can explain it because this is a team that through four games has the second lowest allowed field goal percentage at the rim. So their rim protection is fine. However, when you look at the non-restricted area in the paint, they're giving up – I think it's around 55% shooting. From the mid-range, it's 48%. From the corners, I think it's 58% from both corners. Like, and when you look at how they're defending – Think about it. When you have Al or any of the bigs in a, in a heavy drop coverage coming off a of pick and roll, that allows someone like DeRozan or Harden or Paolo to get into that non-restricted paint area. And because you don't have Rob's length to challenge those shots, teams are feasting. From the corners, if you're getting beat on the perimeter and your defense has to collapse, well, how are the Celtics successful? Drive and kick, find open guys in the corner. So when you look at the two areas that they're lacking in terms of their defending pick and roll and drop coverage, and they're not getting that resistance on the perimeter, that opens up those two problem areas that you mentioned and why they're really giving up so many points. They're still 93rd percentile in transition defense. They're elite at defending the rim. But if you're going to be giving up all these second chance points and you're not going to be able to prevent people from getting into the paint, you're going to teams are going to score on you. That's just how the NBA is. I guess the bigger picture thing that sort of annoys me, Greeny, and, and you know, like my Twitter mentions go crazy during games. Yours all the more so, I'm sure, because you're so actively, obviously, tweeting during these things like, you know, if, if you're a regular listener or viewer of this show, you know that I'm not a I'm not like a complete all the way homer, nor am I overly negative. I, I certainly skew toward the positive versus the negative. It bugs me, though, when there's a, a trend, even a four-game sample, you know, when there's a little bit of a trend that you nitpick on social media. And, uh, like, for me, it was, you know, don't really like what's happening with the defense right now. Mm-hmm. And people come immediately back with, what the hell's your problem, Kaufman? They're 3-1. and one. What do you want? Like, three wins, pretty good. Could be four right now. How can you pick apart the defense? Well, again, 25th. 25th in in defensive efficiency in the NBA right now after being one last year. And to your point, Dan, earlier, they spent a decent chunk of last year without Rob Williams and still finished number one. Rob missed a quarter of the regular season, and they were still by far the number one defensive team in the NBA. And pretty much other than the first like two weeks under Ime Odoka, they pretty much wire to wire sustained that on right on through the playoffs and that finals run. So I, I think doesn't mean I think this is going to be a trend that follows them the the entire year because Rob is going to come back at some point and Joe is going to learn some stuff at some point. They are going to, you know, everyone's going to mesh more cohesively. But right now, and Tatum has said it in multiple post-game interviews, and I like the dissatisfaction on his part, having gotten to, you know, the top of the mountain, but not planted the flag in, in, in the top, if you will, in actually winning the championship. I like the dissatisfaction. I like the acknowledgement that they are not completely connected right now. And they've got, if they want to get to where they want to be, 
they've got some crap they've got to clean up. And I don't know why that, you know, for me, for you, for Evan, for anyone, why that's an unfair thing to point out at the moment. Like, it's not just an everything is rosy, like, you know, Lego movie, everything is awesome. That's that's not what it is. They've got some issues they've got to correct if we want to see Banner 18. Right. And I just think it's it's very important to remember that as good as they looked the last four or five months last year, as good as they've looked at times to begin the year this year, it's not like they're a team without flaws, right? Like we know when the Celtics are playing in a way that their bad habits are coming to the surface because we know what the flip side looks like when they are locked in and they're playing to their potential. So saying like, yeah, there are defensive issues doesn't mean the Celtics defense stinks or that smart wasn't a worthy defensive player of the year or any of these big picture assumptions you don't do that now, but I think it is okay to say, here are the areas that they are struggling and here's why and what they should do to correct it. I think that's just normal as you work your way through the same way when things go great. It's not like, oh, this was a fluke. It was, this is why it's working and this is what they can do to continue that. You don't really get that same pushback, right? And I think it's just because they are three and one and they are hyped up and there is a bunch of talent. I think there are some that maybe don't want to like, don't want to hear it because at the same time they are winning. But when you talk about we've graduated into the level where we're talking about competing for a title and everything that they do during the regular season has to build up to competing for a title. We are not seeing title caliber defense through four games. Some of it, like we said, could be opponent, you know, making tough shots, but other parts of it are scheme related and is a communication and connectivist issues, but that's normal. It's four games into a eight, six mm-hmm. month season. You're going to have that growing pains early. Let's see what it looks like on Thanksgiving. Let's see what it looks like on Christmas when we have a 2025 game sample of what that defense ends up looking like. Something we haven't pointed out too is, and I, I think it's fair to acknowledge we didn't, have really spend a lot of time on this throughout the summer. I think we all kind of got obsessed with, you know, they're, they're bringing back every important member of their rotation and, you know, there's, there's not a ton of turnover. Now that we're seeing the team though, it's a different team. And that doesn't mean every season is different. Right. And, and by the way, like just, just so this is not lost, that doesn't mean worse. I actually think they're better. I really do believe that they are better than what we saw last year. And, and will be better. But right now, like you've added Brogdon, who is an important piece. You know, Sam Hauser is, is theoretically going to provide you some three point shooting off the bench that you didn't have last year. You have Al playing a much more limited role than what he did last year. And that's going to be like Noah Vonley is playing important minutes and is going to continue to, especially with Rob out. You've added Blake Griffin. You know, you've, you're just, and obviously you have a different head coach. Like Greeny, this is, this is a, it's a different group. You watch these first four games and you're just seeing this is not the same team we watched last year. Right. You also have Derek White sliding into that starting role, which mm-hmm. is which is new in an aspect of, you know, the lineups that he's playing with. You're not starting Grant at the four, you know, that they did at times during the playoffs when they were still locked in defensively. So I think it's it's always important to remember that even though the players returned, you know, they added pieces you know, development isn't linear. It's basically a brand new organism that they have to figure out how different pieces and, you know, maybe, you know, they have to figure out, okay, when we have lineups with Brogdon, he's good at defending pick and roll a certain way, which is then a domino effect for everybody else. Or when we have lineups with white, 
and Tatum and Brown. Like there are things that a team has to figure out and, and work through because it isn't the exact same roster we saw last year. They right. don't play the exact same way that we saw under Ime. They play faster. They're worse on the on the defensive glass, which makes them have to defend for longer possessions. Like those are all components that you have to figure out as a new team. Like you said, doesn't mean it's going to be worse, but it also doesn't guarantee that it's got to be better. We have to see what it looks like the same way we did last year. We didn't know if it was going to work with Ime. We didn't know how it was going to look with that collection of talent. They had to prove to us through their play that they could figure it out. And it's no different this year. Yeah. I, maybe I, before we like uh, hop over a different topic, I just don't want, I do want to mention like individually and maybe Greeny, you have some stats to back this up. I feel like individually smart and Tatum defensively are playing out of their minds. Yes. Like smart is doing a whole bunch of smart stuff. Uh, throughout the first four games this year. And Tatum defensively, we've all talked about how he's like an all-world defensive player when he finally locks in. I think through four games, it's been a really great stretch for him, both as a one-on-one guy and a team defender. I think those – I mean, they have the defensive pieces to be a very good defensive team. I think it's just going to take a little while, as it did last year, to kind of mold and gel and figure all that stuff out. But, man, do I love watching those two guys specifically on the defensive end. Again, I was looking up stats. I don't know if you saw – um, me looking at stuff. I was trying to see if I could find a stat that I really liked. I didn't find one that I really liked to support my argument. So I, I, I <laughs> hate when that happens. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is not. It's unfortunate. But what I was I was trying to get at was this team defensively has good pieces, but the two guys I just want to highlight what they have done because those two guys have been absolutely ridiculous and smart specifically. And I feel I almost feel like Greeny. He's been motivated by everybody was saying like, oh, he wasn't supposed to win defensive player of the year because he looks like slightly better this year than he does last year. I would say we've seen almost zero drop off in his individual defense from the caliber that we saw help him win defensive player of the year. In terms of his individual matchups, in terms of his help defense, you know, how he's able to guard one through five. Um, And same thing with Tatum. I just think he's so much more engaged. You can tell he really wants to make an all NBA defensive team. But I do think tomorrow we're going to learn right away. The Cavs have the perfect combination of elite big play with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. And Garland hasn't been ruled out. But even still, him and and Donovan Mitchell are two elite perimeter shot creators. So everything we want to see about this defense, we're going to find out if they figured it out tomorrow after this break. Because the Cavs do pose two challenges that have given the Celtics issues through four games, so we're going to know pretty much right away. Yeah, it's uh, it, it it's just interesting to watch. It's really interesting to watch kind of how it all unfolds and develops, and obviously what direction they continue to go. Evan, you brought up Jason Tatum. We should talk a little bit about him in particular because, man, I just i I love. I love what we've seen from Tatum oh, so no far, question. not not only on the floor, but off in the way that he has carried himself, the way that he will talk about individual awards versus team awards and what he's motivated by. And, and obviously coming off the finals loss and, and how that impacted him. And, you know, every interview, it just seems like we're getting a better quote from Tatum about, you know, kind of where his head is at and, and his maturity level. And it's not like anyone has questioned in the last couple of years, his, growth into the 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 true leader the true alpha of this team but to to actually watch it on a daily basis materialize and where he is I don't want to say that right now and I know he's averaging like 35 points a game or whatever the hell it is that's not gonna that's not sustainable it's not gonna maintain but for 
for him to be doing what he's doing at the start of a year, which we don't traditionally see out of him, we certainly didn't see it last year, I think is so significant. Like people want to talk about the the superstar leap, right? Like from, from playoffs and what he did end of the regular season into the playoffs to, to now starting, you know, where he is at this moment and, and where he wants to be in that MVP conversation and all NBA and all defensive team, first team, all that stuff where he has put himself to begin this year is so significant. I think for his personal growth, never mind the team growth for his personal growth. And uh, and I just don't see it slowing down. I really don't. Yeah, and Evan, I don't know how, how you feel about it, but I don't think it's only Jason Tatum. I think it's both him and Jalen Brown. Like, sure. I am not someone who considers them a number one or a number two or a 1A and a 1B. To me, I look at them as both 1A players. And even from Jalen at Media Day, it was the same thing. Everything we heard about from both of them was how much that finals loss ruined their life. So for me, as someone who also had his life ruined for four months (laughs) from that finals loss, that was great to hear. But from the first second of the first game, we've seen both of them so locked in from from their approach in these games to how they're committed defensively, to how they're holding everybody accountable. I look at their sort of stance as the two leaders and building blocks of this franchise. They set the tone the entire roster has fall has followed suit. And I think if you got it with one and not the other, you wouldn't have sort of that growth and that progress that we're seeing. I think it's the fact that both he, both Tatum and Brown are locked in. They are on the same page where we don't care if it's your night, if it's my night, if I'm the guy, if you're the guy, like none of any of those early issues that were, you know, I had to fight against from sports talk radio in, in their early parts of their careers that stuff is done. And I think the change is once you make the finals and you fail in the finals, it changes the mindset of everybody on the roster, right? Like before we would see them make deep runs, but they never got over the hump. And we would say, man, if only they could do X, Y, and Z, they would finally get over the hump. And we were like, it was like wishful thinking that we knew what the formula could be. Now they got over the hump and they had unspeakable pain and failure. So I think that just changes how a a group that's been together for so long, now they know what it takes to get to that level. And I think once you have that perspective, it changes how you play, how you think, how you lead. It all falls into line. Yeah, I was watching a a broadcast of some other team the other night. And I, I... I don't know if it's if it was Orlando or Detroit or somebody, and they were they were talking about they have whatever team it was has two young players. They're doing the U turn, my turn thing, mm-hmm. and how much we had to deal with that as as Celtics fans watching Jalen and Jason try and navigate the court together and try to figure out how to play together. And it was a lot of okay, now it's your turn, now it's my turn, now it's your turn. The stark difference that you can see this year is those two play off each other way better than they ever have. And it's yeah. no longer a your turn, my turn situation where it's like, all right, you get the one that – no, it's no longer that. I, the decision-making is much cleaner. It's quicker. Um, I, I love the fact that you're hearing from both guys after games, but primarily Tatum because Tatum is the de facto best player on the team. I love that for the Orlando win. He was like, we were terrible. We can't play this way. This is not going to be – how we win games, we just have to be better. And then after the Chicago game, I also enjoyed the fact that I was like, hey, look, there's 82 games in the season and there's playoffs. Like, 
these type of games are going to happen. What we can't let happen is, is get too crazy and, 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 and brought down by this loss. But there are things we can learn here in terms of getting ourselves out of the holes that we kind of put ourselves in. So like everything, and this is like one of the things that Simmons killed me with, and I don't mean to kill Simmons in this podcast because it's like two weeks from I've done this, where he was like, I'm not hearing what I want to hear from, you know, Tatum Brown. Like they're not miserable. It's like, well, they, maybe they were miserable in silence, man. Like, cause right. you see that I don't think we have never seen a team um, since the like 07, 08 season, the, the KG pub. This team is so focused mm-hmm. at, one thing and that's being ready for when playoffs come around like Tatum notorious I love the meme of like oh no maybe he's bad yeah now he's getting better and like that meme is like my favorite meme ever but I'm just kind of questioning where we are in that meme because this is not this is a Tatum never seen before and we talked about with uh Chris Mannix how you know Jason Tatum is his MVP pick off to a tremendous start in terms of trying to win the MVP, maybe it was right. Maybe he told, maybe him telling Embiid that he's he better win this one because he's never winning one after this. Maybe Tatum is right because he I, he looks tremendous, and if he has the the in season leap that he always has, I don't even I don't know what that player looks like. Like I just don't because whatever everything he's doing right now, he's doing at a high level. And I and I, I'm trying to remember if it was the Philly game or a different game where instead of taking a step back three at the buzzer, he drove to the basket and got And I was like, I was like, yes, this is it. That's real growth. That's it right there. Like he is really like, he's putting all the little things together and it's, it, it's culminating in. And again, it's, we're only four games into the season. So it's really hard, but it's the top 10, top seven, top five. Like he is, slowly creeping higher and higher on that list. And it's, it's becoming more undeniable, I think. Really. Yeah. But you know, that's that to me, that's what made the, the Bulls loss so frustrating is because they kept trying to shoot their way out of their collapse, as opposed yeah. to the game before when they were going to be a two to three minute scoring drought, we saw Tatum be aggressive and get to the rim and sort of find higher efficiency shots. I'm most interested in seeing we're all in love with their mental approach. What stood out to me basically until the finals is this team didn't lose two games in a row. Their best players never let their losses snowball, right? Well, now here we go. We have a game that you should have won, that you collapsed doing all the bad habit things that we know lead to Celtics collapses. Now you're facing a good team at home after a long layoff. Show me that you know how to stop the bleeding and respond and play the way you know how to do so that's what I can't wait to see tomorrow. How did Tatum and Brown, and really all the starters, how do you show that this was actually, you know, Tatum said, listen, this is one of 82. It happens. Okay, well, show me that it is just one of 82, and you can't get back to playing like you know, like we know you're capable of, which is what we saw through the first three games, or three games and half a quarter, right? Like they were flawless for the most part. Now you have your first bit of adversity. Joe Missoula, show me you know how to stop a run and can and can call a timeout. You know, show me you can figure out ways to when you recognize that things aren't working, the players have the awareness to go, okay, let's get something at the rim. Let's get something like when's the last time you saw a pick and roll lob through four through four games this season? We haven't seen it. And I think when there are nights that they're not gonna, you know, they started eight of ten from three and then finished ten of thirty-eight. So there are going to be those nights where your shot variance is all over the place. Show me that you can go back to the basics and, and get easy buckets when you know you need them. 
Let's take a quick break, tell you about our good friends and partners, sponsors of this show, Bet Online, betonline.ag. Of course, basketball is back. We know that. Bet Online, your top source for all sports betting needs throughout this season. It's not just basketball either. You got uh, MLB World Series is, is starting up tomorrow between the Phillies and Astros, if anyone's actually interested in that. NFL season is a little more than a quarter of the way through at this point. NHL is underway. You got golf. You got MMA. You name it. It's all available to you. You'll World always Cup find the latest stuff. What's that? World Cup's coming. World Cup is definitely coming. I'm already hearing from people about the World Cup over at the Revs. They're all sorts of excited. Uh, find the latest odds, player matchup, team matchup, everything trends at Bet Online. Make sure to check it out. Continued source for all your sports wagering information. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, giveaways all season long. Uh, NBA, you could look at the first coach to be fired. You could get odds on that. It's our good friend, Doc Rivers. He's the favorite in Philly, plus 350 as the first coach to get the pink slip. Steve Nash, at plus 450. That wouldn't shock anyone in Brooklyn, uh, the way, uh, he and his players seem to be on the same page. Um, always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events. As mentioned, you could work in tennis, boxing, whatever it is, on top of all the others that I already outlined for you. Head to betonline.ag, join up, receive a 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit. Make sure you use the promo code. It's CLNS50. Again, that's CLNS50 to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Let's talk about this next game just a, a little bit, not so much previewing it but looking at it in the big picture sense of of what we think of Cleveland right right now and 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 going forward I I think it was was it Grandiev that was you know a few weeks back we were talking about just the NBA in general in the Eastern Conference and maybe he was saying that you know you might need 50 wins in the East just to get into the postseason right you look at where we're at right now Milwaukee Cleveland the Knicks Celtics Washington Atlanta Toronto Chicago all these teams okay that's one through eight all these teams already have three wins, all of them. And that, so that like, that doesn't include Miami that's going to improve. It doesn't include Brooklyn's going to improve. It doesn't include one in four Philly that's going to improve. Uh, you know, the, the others, are, whether it's Charlotte, Indy, Detroit, Orlando, whatever, like there, there's going to be obviously some movement for some of the ones that I already mentioned that are off to quicker starts, but. Do we believe in, in Cleveland, Greeny, as much as, as like Kevin Garnett putting them in the top four in the East ahead of Boston going into the season? How much should we respect the Cavaliers right now? I think, I think they're, even without Donovan Mitchell, they should have earned respect. I mean, they were a top four seeded team last season before Jared Allen got hurt. You know, they had so many injuries. Ricky Rubio tore his ACL, who was off to a great start. They were a top four team. They were elite defensively. Their bigs and their size proved to be an issue. Evan Mobley might be Tim Duncan. Like there are things that you have to respect about Cleveland. Now they add an elite shot creator in Donovan Mitchell. They have, you know, that cohesiveness and another year together of experience. They absolutely can be a top three, top four team barring health. And I just think that's why this is going to be such a good test because like Randy said, you may need 50 wins. The biggest thing that I always push back this time of year is when people tell me October basketball doesn't matter. (laughs) I couldn't disagree more, especially when you're talking about Eastern Conference contender matchups. So head-to-head games against Philly, head-to-head games against Brooklyn, Miami, Toronto, we could very well have a situation just like last year 
where the top four teams are all around the same win total and you need a tiebreaker to establish home court. So even though this game is taking place at the end of October, it matters that you play well and you beat this team because that may matter once we get to the spring and the games really do count. So I'm interested. I think they, I think they're coached well. They're built well. They have assets to make trades and improve at the deadline in terms of tradable assets and draft picks. So there's no reason you should think of them like this is not the post LeBron, post Kyrie Cleveland of old that couldn't win 30 games. Like Darius Garland is an all-star caliber point guard. Donovan Mitchell is an all-star caliber point guard. Jared Allen was just an all-star. Evan Mobley won rookie of the year or, you know, was in the conversation for, Mm -hmm. you know, he'll be an all-star at some point. So they do have talent. And I, and that's why I want to see, do they overlook them? Because I think they were three and one against the Cavs last year or something like that. And and they didn't, but those games were fluky because there were some that Mobley didn't play. There were some that like, you know, the, you know, Al may have sat. So you have to respect them. They're good. And you're going to have to play defense at a high level. Yeah, and look, we all Cleveland is like the fun up and coming team that everybody kind of loves. Um, let's just pump the brakes slightly. They've beaten Orlando, Washington, and Chicago. It's not like they've right. they've beaten the brakes. The same is true, right? Haven't isn't the Knicks three and one record? Same thing. It's like Charlotte, Orlando. So that aspect you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. It'll be a good test for both teams. I, and, and Cleveland has a great roster. Like, there's no question about that. They they have a lot of size, which is going to be a problem for a lot of teams. The NBA has gotten smaller over the years. Well, you know, Cleveland can find a way to, to stay big on the floor uh, with Allen and Mobley at the same time, which is, is, which is a problem, but like, you know, Boston with the way they start by starting two smaller guards, the backcourt with white and smart, like this will be an interesting matchup. So uh, Cleveland is being uh, this Eastern conference is going to be a juggernaut. I, I don't think we've seen this in quite some time where there's so many good, teams you know Boston will be hopefully in the good to elite part of this but this is a good matchup early on for Boston but Boston's you know had some tests early on they played you know Philly and beat them and went on the road to Miami and beat them so it's not like Boston hasn't been tested yet the only the, the, the only test they haven't passed is one they should have against Chicago but again, everybody has bad nights this is a, again a good way I like how Greeny put it in terms of trying to win two games like don't lose two games in a row and yep. see if this team can come back against a really good uh, Cleveland team a good defensive team with good, you know, guards in the perimeter. Um, it should be – we talk about Boston's perimeter defense between Smart and Brogdon and Tatum and Brown um, and, and Derek White. Like, this is going to be a challenge for them. Let's see if, if – if we all believe that Boston has good defensive pieces, this will be a great challenge. I, mean, I no idea health-wise. I haven't watched a second in Cleveland this year, I'll be honest with you, so I'm not really quite, quite positive what it all looks like. I've seen clips. You know, Mitchell looks like he's trying harder on defense, so that's really yep. good. Um, the tools are always there. He has some freakishly long wingspan. It's like seven to one, right? He's like six, four. Right. So for him, it was always an effort thing. Like if he just put an effort, he could be at least a passable defender. And he's so good offensively. If you just get to passable, like, all right, now you're, now he's not a a glaring hole when he's on the floor. Yeah. So it's one of the things I'm looking for flip side though, is like, do do they have anybody that can check, you know, Jalen and and Jason? Because one of the things that I love about Philadelphia is we all, Everybody loves to talk up Philadelphia every year. And I don't mean to like, you know, just completely clown on the, on the Sixers, but the Sixers have never had a guy that could guard either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. As we found out opening night, they still don't have a player that can guard either of those two guys. I'm, I'm curious. That's where I'm really curious because at the end of the day, playoffs come around. It's, it's about stars. And 
I want to see if, if Cleveland has some guys that can slow those two guys down or, you know, if, if, if Boston will always have an advantage on the wing because they're just too talented at that, at that spot. That's what I'm really looking for. The size stuff I'm not super concerned about is because Rob's hanging around somewhere. I wasn't yeah, going you know, oh, Isaac. Go uh, I was going to say Isaac Okoro will probably guard Tatum. He's a pretty good on ball defender. Um, but the bigger thing is like what they lack on the perimeter trying to score over Jared Allen and Evan Mobley is not easy. So it's mm-hmm. like they may not be able to guard individually Tatum and Brown consistently, but it's kind of like when Rob is on the floor, if someone on the Celtics would get blown by, Rob just cleans it up on the glass. So the, the Cavs defense is built that way, but their issue is shooting. If the Celtics can make them beat them by, you know, packing the paint and making them hit outside shots, that's the path. If you're going to let – Karis Levert score 50 again like he did when he was on the Nets because all he did was just get into the paint. And Mitchell and Garland, if they're getting into the paint, the Cavs can score. If you make them hit jump shots, that's sort of where they struggle. I was just going to say, and I wasn't planning on going this direction, but because I've alluded to it, I, I'm i just at a point it, on our text chain, we talk about this sometimes with a, a few people. But I, anytime I hear people take the Sixers seriously as a contender, like as, as a true championship contender, you know, I, I know that like they can win their 50 plus games. They can get to the playoffs and, and beat is great, obviously. And we know what Harden is and the, the heights that doc has been to. And it, it looks like they have some talent on that team, but it always looks like they have talent on that team. Greeny. I just, they're they're To me, they are paper champions. They are frauds. They are not a team that ever actually scares me just because if they even get to the stage of, of a deep playoff run, I'm just waiting for them to crumble. I, I don't believe that they have what it takes to win a title. Yeah, I think all you just have to do is just compare their roster to the teams that have made the finals over the last, you know, three to four years, right? Like, how are they stacking up against Milwaukee, Phoenix, Boston, Golden State? They don't have the personnel to defend those teams at a level that is required to win a title. And offensively, right, all those teams are good on the other end. So offensively, teams know like, okay, you can let Embiid score 45, but they don't have any other shot creators outside of James Harden. And if he isn't, you know, a 2018 version of himself, where is their offense? Who is scared about Tobias Harris taking open looks who is scared about PJ Tucker on the offensive end of the floor. Like Tyrese Maxey is awesome. He's fast as hell. He's an efficient player, but like, we don't know what he's going to look like on the stage of the NBA finals because he's so young the same way we didn't know. Like who expected Jason Tatum to struggle in the NBA finals? Nobody. So you just look, they don't have the roster and the talent to be in that title contending sort of, you know, upper echelon tier. They can get there, maybe, like maybe if guys go down or they, you know, get hot at the right time. Because in the playoffs, it's all about matchups. But they're an easy team to scheme against. And once you're easy to scheme against in the playoffs, when teams are actually trying, you're cooked. Like you just, you can't get over that hump until you actually make defenses fear you. And they most certainly do not do that. Speaking of pretenders, by the way, will the 0-4 Lakers even win 40 games? Love it. Listen, I don't know if Love you it. guys have – tweet- have you seen their next 29 games from yeah. now until Christmas? Nobody's, because <laughs> nobody will stop talking about it because it's like, oh, where are the wins coming from? Because it's, this is right. 
like even their their layup games, like the Spurs and the Jets, like they're trying yet. Like they're not tanking yet. So you really look <laughs> at their schedule. It's not crazy to think they could be like one and nine, two and ten. Like they just don't have. And I don't know if you guys saw the Grandy tweet. It's all about their shooting. If they were just league average from behind the arc, they would have the fourth highest point differential in the entire NBA. But they simply cannot shoot the basketball. They have the, a top five defense through four games. But they're, it's the same problem like with the Sixers. Mm-hmm. Their roster construction is their issue. They're, it's not like one day Lonnie Walker is going to wake up and be a, a league average three-point shooter. It's yeah. not going to. Russell Westbrook isn't going to wake up and shoot 35% from three. So how they're constructed, there is no way for them to claw out of their hole. Their I offense mean, dead last by a wide margin. Yeah. yeah. I, I got a favor to ask of you, Greeny. You, your colleagues, uh, PFT and Big Cat, have this award called the Football Guy of the Week. Yeah. And I need you, on behalf of us and Celtics Nation, I need you to push for a specific candidate. This came – I read this this morning from Himmelsbach. Oh, this was uh, just an absolute wonderful story about Joe Missoula. Um, if you have time to read it, please do. Uh, but I'm going to take a snippet from this. And I'd like to nominate uh, Joe Missoula for the football guy of the week, even though he's not a football guy. Okay. This is quoting from Adam's story. Quote, at Fairmont, Missoula asked his wife, uh, Kamai, I think, is it Kamai? Um, I, I apologize if I'm saying that wrong. Um, if they could buy an RV and live in the school gym's parking lot for easy access. He once arrived one minute late to a training session and punished himself with a workout so fierce it made his players worry about his safety. He pumped <laughs> the rule books and ended up explaining new guidelines to referees. If when you, to the commitment of buying an RV and living in the parking lot of your D2 college basketball gymnasium, if that's not the football guy of the week right there, I don't know what is. I just, I just need you to, to on our behalf, Green. I mean, let's just call, let's just call that what it is. That is some grade A Celtics porn. I mean, oh my god! I mean, that you can just inject that right into my veins, like, dude, like that is the type of maniac that, like, okay, I'm in. You sold me. Give him, give him a lifetime deal. He's the guy. I'm, I'm sold. I and I only bring this up because I would like to formally apologize to Joe Mazzula. Uh, on this show, because when it happened and we reacted in real time, mm-hmm. I did the hot take thing. Um, and I was, I felt passionate about it, but I just kind of dove headfirst into it. I, I thought that the Joe, the Joe Missoula, um, hiring as the interim head coach would be an absolute disaster for a team coming mm-hmm. off an NBA finals, you know, a trip and to hand it to a guy whose head coaching experience is D2 Fairmont State, I thought was a, is, is really tough. And I'd like to formally apologize to Joe because this offense looks unbelievable. I believe in the fact that they have guys on staff that will figure out the defensive part of this. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't look like he's over his head at all. I think he, he looks fine. As many people have said, we'll find out come playoff time if he's really ready for this particular thing. But so far, I've been kind of really impressed with Joe Missoula. Again, the timeouts thing, I think we can, we're learning on the job a little bit, but I've been really, their offense looks way better than it did on our email. Like this looks right. like a very complete, devastating offensive team. And I did not expect to see that right out of the gate at this point. So again, I just, I use the, the, the great story from Adam just to highlight that Joe Missoula, I think is doing a spectacular job. Yeah. I think, I think we have to keep two things in mind with Missoula. One, 
we may just have to just trust Brad Stevens with whatever the hell he decides he wants to do. I mean, it's it's almost ridiculous. That Unassailable right just, now. His record is unreal. It's and the one like mistake that he made with with Dennis Schroeder, he immediately corrected at the trade deadline. So it's like that's a little crazy. But at the same time, it is only four games in, right? We do need to see how he responds and how he's able to navigate them when they have a stretch where maybe they lose three of five or like things are, things are always easy when you're winning. I think that's been the case forever in sports. I want to see like, what do people do when guys are sitting in certain moments where normally they're used to playing and the team is losing or suddenly the offense is stalling and things aren't gelling. Like the same questions we had with Ime because it was his first time last year. Like, we need to still have with Joe. And like you mentioned the timeout issue, like that was very early Brad Stevens vibes of just like, maybe not knowing that you have the ability to stop a run by calling a timeout and the NBA level, like now he knows you can do that. So let's see him apply it. But I'm just, it's hard to argue that it's been anything other than like the best possible start. But I think everything we heard from the best players on the team they had buy-in. And when you have that collective buy-in, and I think maybe we overlooked the reality of perhaps they're trying harder and they're more on the same page to start because they realized that Missoula was thrown into this crazy situation and they all love the guy and they don't want to leave him hanging, right? Like they want to see him succeed. So it's like, okay, we know that we have to be, you know, with the right mindset and play the right way at all times because like this guy was put in an unfathomable position that like up until the first week of September, I don't think he was expecting to be the head coach of the Boston Celtics. So I think while some people thought his inexperience was going to be like a detriment and a disaster, there's a chance that inexperience is what brought everybody together and had them locked in, ready to go from the first game. In the spirit of In Brad We Trust, uh, Heavy.com, our buddy Sean Devaney wrote a piece yesterday for anyone that missed it, uh, basically talking about Celtics trade rumors already four games into the season, uh, writes that, in, and I'll skim over parts of this, but Celtics are looking to fill their holes in the front court and on the wings with two important weapons to do so, the traded player exceptions of uh, $6.9 million for Juan, uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez and five point nine for, as Greeny talked about, Dennis Schroeder. Uh, multiple league sources told heavy sports. It is clear. This is one league executive telling Sean, uh, it is clear they're asking about big guys and they're asking about wings to poking around. They're taking the temperature on what might be out there, who might get released or bought out, uh, who they might have to give up a first or first round pick or second round pick to get it's early. So no one's giving up on players now, but when you get to late December around Christmas, January, seems like, they want to be in a good spot to make the call on what to do at that point in time. Uh, Sean continues to write about, uh, obviously, some of the financial implications, Al Horford's age, Rob Williams' yep. injury, all of that. Talks about uh, Justice Winslow of the Blazers as an option. We've talked about him for I don't know how long, obviously. Uh, the Hawks' Justin Holiday, Tory Craig of the Suns uh, as a possible TPE uh, option as well. What you think when you saw this article provided you did, or if you're hearing about yeah. this for the first time now, what, um, you know, in, in terms of possible targets or guys you would like to see Boston chasing after? Yeah. I mean, I think I would hope that if Brad and Zarin and everybody are able to identify a weakness that they would be doing their due diligence to figure out 
how to address it, right? Like, like we said, it's not surprising that they would be looking at the big man market because mm-hmm. that's an area where we've seen early signs of their front corp depth potentially being an issue. I like the idea of maybe someone like Tory Craig, just because he's kind of like a small ball four, he can stretch the floor a little bit, but I think he doesn't really help you on your rebounding department all that much. So I think once we get to the trade deadline, we'll obviously have a clearer picture, right? But I have no problem with them planting that seed now to say, hey, you know, Utah Jazz, like, why do you need Jared Vanderbilt helping you win games or anything like that? We don't, it's still too early where teams still feel like they have a shot where guys may not be available. So for Brad or Zarin or whoever to be like, hey, if in two months you get to the point where you need to start thinking of changes or this guy's an expiring contract on your roster and you don't want to lose him for nothing, give me a call and I'll throw you a second round pick and we'll take him. You know, I just think that is what every GM should be doing when they notice a weakness. In terms of fit, like I can understand them wanting a guy that can switch and that can stretch the floor and all that. But if you look at how they're playing defensively, they aren't switching everything like in a pick and roll. So why do I have to be concerned that, you know, a a potential big man replacement won't be able to guard in space if they're just going to play drop coverage anyways, then like that aspect isn't as much of a concern for me. So I can't imagine they'll stand pat, even with Rob coming back. Like I was surprised they didn't add, I know they added Blake and all that jazz, but it wouldn't shock me if, if we get to the deadline and we see someone like Justin Jackson get waived for a a buyout guy or anything like that, just because the season is too important to ignore a potential weakness that could compromise the title. All right, guys, the, uh, the other thing I want to get to in the interest of time and uh, saving it for the end deliberately, but introducing this on this program is uh, for the first time we have decided to start a, a Celtics beat fantasy basketball league a season-long league that uh, we will be tracking throughout this year it began with the start of the year so we're already a, a week plus in at this point but talking about it here on the show for the first time the participants include the three of us greeny is part of it uh in fact we have two divisions because i don't know espn made me set up divisions when i created this league i don't know why that's a thing but uh, maybe I'm just too dumb to figure out how to turn that off so we have the uh these divisions named by evan the blog boys division which features uh, these two, Evan Valenti, Dan Greenberg, both in there. Keith Smith is in the league. Uh, our our buddy Seth Landman, who comes on this show periodically, is in there. Bobby Manning, obviously, of CLNS fame, is in that division as well. And the uh, the old heads division, uh, that includes me, because uh, I, I do a whole lot of radio and people think radio's dead, so what the hell, I'll be in the old heads division. Uh, we also have Sean Grandy with his son Jack as co-manager of that team uh the recently retired mark murphy is in this league sean devaney who we mentioned before is in this league and gary washburn is in this league and uh everybody with a a modest buy-in as well uh to uh to enhance their participation maybe but uh greeny we were talking before we came on about your draft strategy and how you feel things are going for you right now evan and i are, are facing each other this week as a matter of fact and we're neck and neck at the moment what do you think of this thing well you know as long as we caveat by saying that you know we know that nobody cares about other people's fantasy teams however but we do on this show so however having said that 
heading into the draft, I think to the surprise of absolutely zero people, you know, listening or watching to this show, my strategy was just to draft only Celtics players, even though <laughs> that's so dumb for a daily, you know, type of fantasy league where you, you know, there are going to be nights where the Celtics are off and I would have zero points on that day. I just, I wanted it. I thought it would be very funny to just only have uh, a roster of that. Unfortunately, Keith Smith stole Jalen right before I was able to make that move. What cemented it was Evan passing up on Jason Tatum. You're welcome. Uh, so I was able to draft him, which was regretting honest, it. I, I regretted it at, immediately after I did it, and then after opening night, I was like, I really, I yeah. really took Embiid over Jason Tatum. This is going to haunt my life. However, <laughs> I just want to point this out, just so that the reason why I did it is because every fantasy team that I have drafted. This season, football especially, has been awful. So what I did, a little reverse <laughs> yeah, change I here. Like that. I, I couldn't take Tatum because I can't put my bad stench on Jason Tatum. So I feel like I have a little bit to do with Tatum's hot start. Just a little bit. A little All bit. right. Well, we're we're happy to have it. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pissed, frankly. <laughs> yeah, thank you for and doing then, your part. I'm pissed. And then I saw um, Team Grandy. Had to make some moves, got rid of Marcus Smart, immediately snatched him up. I feel like as, you know, uh, uh, as the driver of the Marcus Smart defender bandwagon, I just needed him on my roster. So we've got three so far. I have, I think, what, nine more spots to fill. So we're just hoping (laughs) as free agency happens that people have to drop it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, listen, we'll see how it goes. I haven't played fantasy basketball probably since high school, so – um, for me, that's why I'm just like, let me just grab all the Celts I can and I'll just live and die with this team just like I do in real life. We Are you doing negoti- okay? Well, We're going to negotiate the deal between Greeny and, and Keith Smith for Jalen yeah. Brown. I feel like this is going to be a, a contested. Yeah. <laughs> he might be my white whale. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I don't have a, uh, a, a single Celtic on my team, but I do have Kyrie Irving. So I am just a complete and utter hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, Jason points a guy that I couldn't criticize more on social media. If I tried, <laughs> um, are, are you able to keep up with the, uh, you know, it's, it's season long, but the daily grind of, of setting your lineup or making roster moves, putting a guy on IR because you don't know this, but you know, behind the scenes, there was, there was a lot of pushback about making this, you know, daily roster as opposed to, you know, locking in your lineup for the week. You know, some people didn't necessarily want to want to have to deal with the headaches of, uh, yeah. you know, having to handle all that. To be honest, I found what I do is every Monday, I just, I, I, I set the lineup for the whole week. Smart. And then, for example, when, you know, uh, I think it was Herb Jones who I have, he got hurt and hyperextended his knee or whatever it is. I was not on top of, you know, swapping, hanging him out and picking some. Yeah. So that daily management, I have to get back used to. But listen, it's not it's not supposed to be easy. There is there is <laughs> a, a dollar amount at stake. So right. if somebody doesn't want to pay attention to it, I consider that their problem, not my problem. And yeah. we'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not like I, I'm going to have to start to send some texts, too, just because I mean, whatever. If they, if they want to just give away their money, that's on them. I'm not shocked. Maybe be, I, excuse me. I don't know that Washburn is a uh, is is like a, a huge fantasy guy, or if he just was like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll jump in. Like I, I don't know what what the specific motivation was, but he left like 150 points on his bench last night, not setting his lineup. But but doesn't doesn't totally shock me. What surprises me, maybe just given the the generation, if you will, Bobby Manning is not so good at setting his lineup. Bobby, get your act together, man. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, listen, like I said, if they want to tank their own, if they're going for Victor Wembanyama, all the power <laughs> to them. You know, like we'll take it. I'll take the wins. That's right. Uh, I will, uh, and, and just to really hammer home, uh, Greeny's point about how little people probably care about this, uh, uh, early wins, I will tell you for, uh, let's see who, uh, well, I think Evan was smoked by Murph first week. So that's right. So Murph won. Bobby managed to win this first game, uh, first week. I, I had a win. Um, the, who are the, uh, Beacon Hill. Oh, so that's Devaney, the Beacon Hill Beavers. And, uh, who's you just got Tatumed? Oh, that's me. Oh, it's you. That's you. So you won. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah. That's, uh, no, the, uh, the, yeah, the, some of the, some of the team names are decent. Um, the grand. I'll tell you what, ESPN has to figure out their, it's like impossible to upload a non ESPN avatar picture. It's so, I can't. That is, that's, that is garbage. It, the the <laughs> NFL fantasy app just to th- is so much easier. I created my own. My team name is Smoke and Shane Fappo back when uh, Smoke and Jay Cutler was a cool thing. Yeah. That's how long I've had the team. So I just took a picture of Shane Falco with nice. the Madden logo behind him and put a cigarette in his mouth, and it looks hilarious. You can't do <laughs> it on ESPN. So I don't even bother. I have the stupid Yeah, it's, it's embarrassing. I probably spent like an hour and a half trying to find a, a Tatum <laughs> kiss of death photo yeah. that like ESPN would allow, and they just they wouldn't accept it, and I just gave huh. up. Well, you got the headshot anyway. All yeah. right, the next three Celtics games that will happen before we return to this show. Two are against Cleveland. Uh, there's uh, at the Garden, obviously, tomorrow night as we sit here, Friday night. Sunday, uh, early evening, a date with the Wizards. That is also at home. And then in Cleveland on Wednesday. So a nice little gap between Sunday and Wednesday. Uh, and then probably back with Crazy. you Thursday next week before the next uh, Friday game a week from tomorrow against Chicago again. That rematch that the Celtics are going to go out and win by 25 points because they'll be so pissed off. But uh, this was good. A lot of good conversation about the the early Boston Celtics and mixing in a little fantasy as well. We appreciate everybody hanging out here with us, obviously. This show, once again, is uh, powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Ev, I'm Adam. Greeny, thanks for hopping on with us, buddy. And uh, uh, oh, make sure course. people check out the, the Twitter spaces postgame and and break down yeah if you're like me and literally every time this team dribbles you think it matters uh yeah we hop on <laughs> after the game and we rant we vent um they've been fun it was uh it was very therapeutic i think for a lot of people coming off our first collapse of the year and uh, as you can imagine it was just as exciting when they beat the sixers on uh, on opening night so uh appreciative everyone that hops on and is brave enough to to volunteer because um they they get a little crazy at times so beautiful all right thanks everybody we'll catch you again soon go celts all right see ya